What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Reactive Attachments, the podcast. And you know me, Taylor, the host that loves to piss people off with unpopular opinions. So I just want to get straight into some of that, actually. Um, I know that these podcasts and the videos and the different things, the content, whatever, it, it isn't like um, the most wonderful, like doesn't give you butterflies, not, it's not rainbows and, you know, um, beautiful fairy tale in- endings because those things aren't really the facts. Like, I hate to tell you guys the truth because I, I don't want these things that I'm discussing to be facts. Like, I don't want this to be the way it is. I don't feel happy about it. Like, I don't feel like it is, um, you know, cool to have this like information and it's like this, this thing that's like, Ooh, I have like the secret sauce that like nobody else knows. Like it doesn't, I don't have joy in my heart because these things are true and I'm enlightening the masses. That's not how it feels. And you know, um, when I started as like my journey in this world, many, many years ago, before I even started college, um, like when I was deciding what I was going to do, I used to say things like, you know, I want to fight for us. There's nobody fighting for us. The people that step up to the plate to take care of these kids that are abandoned and that, you know, are just kind of left and neglected and blah, blah, blah. Like, what about us? As soon as the parent, you know, gets their life together, finishes their case plan, even if it's two or five years later, like they have a chance to be back in this child's life. And I've raised this child and like, what about us? What about us? What about us? That was my very naive thoughts at age 20, 21, like whatever. Um, I really felt like I wanted to enter social services and fight for the quote unquote us, you know? Um, and I'm glad I changed my career path and I didn't do that because um, that was never the right choice. First off, that was never the right choice. Second of all, was it, um, you know, it was a very selfish driving. It it was driven by very selfish emotions. Like I wanted to, to have a, you know, chance, um, at keeping this little perfect, this picture perfect idea that I had in my mind. And I had been raising this kid as her mom and I told the world that she was my child and you know, we didn't really discuss the facts. Like she obviously was too young, but I didn't discuss the facts with other people, coworkers or whatever. My family had their opinions and that was the source of contention. But, you know, I wanted it to be as close to real as possible, you know, and I felt, I felt like it was, and I would get very offended when anyone would challenge that. I didn't like people to challenge what I felt like was my reality. I didn't like people to challenge what my intentions were or, you know, I didn't even really want to talk about it. Like I didn't even want it to come up in a general conversation that this child that I had been raising as my own wasn't mine biologically. Like I, we look so much alike that fortunately that never was an issue. She has dark hair and blue eyes, tan skin. I have dark hair, blue eyes, tan skin. Like people never, and when they do find out that she's not mine biologically, oftentimes they're shocked. Um, because it's just not even, you know, a question. So 
I wanted to live in that place like for a really long time. I knew about reactive attachment disorder. I knew that it was part of our existence. I knew that I experienced a lot of rejection because of it, but I just thought like everyone else thinks that like in due time that that will not be a focus. It's, it wouldn't be um, even a condition that we had to deal with anymore. I think I believed wholeheartedly that I could love her through that and that love would be enough for that. And then, you know, there's like more trauma occurring that I'm not even aware of really because her dad is becoming, you know, deeper. He's falling deeper into his addiction at this time and he's the less and less involved or whatever. And it's just a really complex, messy attachment story like everybody else. And I, you know, I'm, I'm really trying to make this story, um, you know, as happy, uh, give it a, um, the happiest ending possible. Like I really believe that I had it all figured out. And I really believe that if any, if anything, like, just like everybody else believes, like I'm not, I'm not a stranger to the system of thought, like that most people have, they don't want to hear these negative things. They feel like they are, you know, it's separate from their experience and that, you know, you just fucked it up. If you like, if you can't get to that point where this child is loved just as much as a biological child, that's on you. That's not, you know, um, that that's, that's not for everybody that everybody doesn't have to deal with the traumas of attachment and their storyline. And, you know, they feel like if you can't make it work and figure it out and you can't have the same kind of relationship with this child that, you know, you would have with the biological child, then that's your fault. And that the rest of it's kind of bullshit or it's a, it's an excuse, but that isn't true, you know? And, and I just want people to understand, like, this wasn't always my position. You know, this belief that biological parents need as many opportunities as possible to reunify, that infertility is not a reason to adopt or to foster to adopt. These types of feelings and thoughts and like all of that stuff, it, it didn't come to me um, in, in, a, in a time or in a moment of trying to be controversial or combative or um, you know, oppositional and adversarial to the, the vast majority of the population. Like, that's not what happened. Um, what happened is I've been doing this for so long. Like, I've been involved in this life for so long that I've been exposed to different scenarios and different, you know, um, facts. And I started looking at the things that made the most sense in my, in my life, you know, like in my own experience, I don't have biological children, right. That I'm attached to. So I can't really speak to that. And I never could, you know, I, I, I could say it's the same, it's the same, it's the same, but I didn't really know if it was the same. Like, let's be honest. How the hell would I know? I didn't know. Um, I desperately wanted it to be the same, but I didn't have biological children. I don't have them now. But what I do have is a biological mother who I am extremely, or, you know, she passed away, but like I was extremely attached to and she was a whole mess. Okay. Like that's the fact. The truth is she had a drug problem, a drug and alcohol problem my entire life. Um, 
her financial situation, her motivation and drive to maintain an income for the family was, you know, um, strongly, strongly um, impacted by mental health problems as well as addiction. Like, there were extremely obvious similarities in the story of who I was as a child and who my mom was um, to all of these stories. And I was, yes, removed from the home. I was placed with in kinship care multiple times. Like, my mom had multiple case plans that she had to complete. Like, um, I moved out of the house and started taking care of someone else's kid when I was, like, not even 18 yet. You know, like, I dropped out of high school. I had to get my GD and then like I did eventually go to college and get a degree. It was, you know, like a really complex situation, um, the family dynamics. And I myself have battled a lot of things over the years as a child of my mom's, like, you know, of who, who my mom is. But also, like, now that my mom has passed away, I'm 32 years old, getting closer to being 33. I have, you know... Um, I can look at this and say, well, the truth is, it didn't matter. I was bribed with all the things that I wanted. Like, I remember when I wanted a pager, for example, and I wanted, like, a piercing so bad. Like, my belly button or my nose or something. I I don't know. I think I was 12 or 13. Probably 12, actually. Um, My mom was, like, in one of the biggest crises of her life, of my life. And I had been living with my grandparents and my aunt got involved and she's beyond qualified to take care of children as like, that's what she, her job. I'm not going to like give up all her credentials, but just put it this way. Like she is an attorney that represents children and their best interests in the county that she lives in. And she has for over 20 years. So she's definitely qualified to decide and to step in and take care of a child that is obviously you know going through some neglect or you know um abandonment type I wasn't abandoned but like neglect for drug you know drug related issues and whatever else and she really wanted to take me on and you know she was like look you know you want a pager like we'll get you a pager you want to get a piercing like we'll work on like you know, how can you earn that? And when would it be appropriate to get like a nose piercing or something? Like, I mean, all the things, like she said, all the things. And she has a beautiful home that she built herself. And she has like financially, she had a lot to offer in private school. And I got to go and do certain things that, you know, like camps and different, you know, things that I was interested in. She could fund all of those things. And I was miserable. I was absolutely miserable. I was I'm sure I was problematic. I mean, I know I was problematic for her and, um, I couldn't understand and it felt really like unfair and it felt really like almost like abusive to me that people wanted to separate me from my mom and I didn't know what was going on with her and they weren't telling me like what her progress was in rehab or if she was even in rehab or like where she was, what was she doing? How was she? I couldn't really talk to her. I was like, you know, she had to do these things and I didn't give a shit about the things that she was supposed to have to do. And, um, anytime the opportunity like came up in an argument or otherwise about me just going back to my mom, like wherever the hell she was and whatever she was doing, I was like, cool, let's go send me right now, please. And eventually she did like, eventually she was like, okay, I'm done. 
Like, this isn't, you know, and I, I'm not, like, I wasn't insanely troubled and, like, problematic. I was more consistently un, um, and this is, of course, in my perspective, but, like, I was unwaveringly uninterested in, like, long term. Initially, I was like, yes, I need a break, blah, blah, blah. It was, like, really validating, and everybody wanted to hear what I had to say about my assessment of things, and you know, that felt, that felt validating. Like words of affirmation is my love language and people like patting me on the back and giving me praise. Like that gets me going. So when I like what I, what I think I brought to the chaos was that I just wouldn't really assimilate. I wouldn't integrate into a new life and my aunt doesn't have any children. Um, you know, she's, she's a career person. She's, very successful, um, in a very, you know, she has a very high level job. Like she has a a doctorate degree. Like she's very much, um, the expert in her field, etc. So like she, she focused on having a career and my mom was just kind of all over the place. And, um, I'm sure my, I know my family like felt like they were always cleaning up after her. My family, financially had to take care of my, you know, my needs most of the time, like from my grandparents or even my aunt would, you know, pay for things or whatever. So, you know, my whole story is very similar to the children that I talk about, except for when I'm talking about children that don't have secure attachment, um, they are seeking the same kinds of things, but they just have more problematic behaviors. Like my drive was always to go home. It was always to go home. And like, I would, you know, try to kill myself or like, I say it, you know, like I'm, I'm kind of rolling my eyes as I say it, because obviously like my efforts were mostly to get attention, I think, or to change the circumstances. I don't think I ever really wanted to die. I don't really remember, to be honest, but I I know that I was definitely acting out because I didn't want to be where I was, which checked all the boxes and it was the most perfect of situations, but I couldn't assimilate and I wasn't integrating into this. I had no interest in like, I didn't didn't want to live my life there. I wanted to live my life in whatever, you know, chaos and madness my mom existed in and that was the end of it. And like, I just couldn't let it go. So, um, now we talk, I've talked about all the crazy things with my mom, like the bad, the bad side, I guess the positive side is that my mom is a totally different, extremely evolved human. Like the way that she loved, the way that she listened, the way that she thought about the world. She's very sensitive, very emotional, very, you know, empathic. Um, she was a person with lots of feelings and she got her feelings hurt really easily, which I think led her to, of course, you know, drugs and and alcohol, whatever. Um, but she definitely showed love to me in, in, even in her worst moments when she was out of her mind and she would say things that were totally like off the wall, but like who my mom was and how she like loved people in this world and how I felt loved by her and how connected I was to her. Um, it just, it was toxic probably from the outside. I'm sure, 
you know, because it didn't matter where she was at and getting help. Like I, I wanted, whether she was actively seeking help and getting it and getting better, or if she was actively in her addictions and didn't give a shit and wasn't seeking help, like I didn't care at all. I would lie for her. I would cover up for her. I would battle her physically, fight her for like, take, take pills and flush them down the toilet or whatever, you know, whatever it was. I would do whatever and I would lie and say that things were great and I would, you know, you know, manipulate people around me and um, it was toxic, I'm sure. Like, not I'm sure, I know. Like, I know it was toxic. But it didn't matter at all because for me, my relationship with my mom and knowing where she was, knowing that she was okay, knowing that she wasn't, like, about to die somewhere from an overdose or, you know, a suicide attempt or whatever... It was more important to me than, like, um, having a normal life. I didn't care. You know, I didn't care what it looked like. I just wanted to be involved. And then when I got older, when I was an adult, I did care. And I I was pissed. And I was like, okay, like, you know, let's be honest with each other. Like, let's, let's have some boundaries and, like, be real. I don't have any other adults that are, like, making these choices for me anymore. So you can be honest with me we can have boundaries and like if she had lied to me or something, I would be, you know, irate. And then we would have, if she broke my boundaries, like we would have these big blow ups. I mean, it was always messy in that way, but when it, even in its messiness, it was fueled by a desire and a fear, a desire for my knee, like me to know that she was safe. Um, and then a fear that she wasn't safe. Or that things were going to be out of my control or like, you know, that I wouldn't be able to, um, I wouldn't be able to restrain her or that I wouldn't find her, that I wouldn't, you know, whatever. Like I was terrified of losing her and I didn't even recognize it as that probably for a long time because I, I remember even saying things like I've accepted, I've accepted, um, that I'm going to lose my mom young, like, you know, look at her. Like sometimes I would feel like, okay, I mean, look at her. She's, she's a shell of herself. She's basically already dead. You know, I would say things like that. And I would, I would feel in my heart, like I had accepted that my mom's drug abuse would take her from, from me and that I had already dealt with that. I mean, I don't know why the hell I thought I had already dealt with that. That's crazy. But you know, in my, um, my, my, like how I am now, I, I always think I'm the smartest person in the room and I know everything. Like I really believed that I had, you know, accepted the facts of, of, um, my mom's demise and, you know, when things got better and they stayed on a, on a steady, what I believe to be a steady, um, you know, a steady pattern of improvement for a long time. Um, and that doesn't mean things were perfect. I just mean that they were progressively always a little bit better than they used to be, you know? Um, so I, I kind of had let go of some of that and I was, I was aging and maturing and I had moved across the country and we were, you know, in a whole different season of life when she unexpectedly passed away. And so as a person who has been through as a parent, as a, as a, you know, like, um, a a caregiver for a child with reactive attachment disorder. And then also as a child who was securely, and I mean that in the most, um, you know, I, I felt like my mom wasn't doing all the right things. I was definitely attached to her 
it was a secure attachment for a long time, secure and, and, and normal, I guess for the best, for the most part until it wasn't. And I stayed extremely attached to her. Um, even when I felt like I was giving us space or I would take a break and like, we wouldn't be on speaking terms for a couple weeks or something. I always felt like, you know, um, our communication was very clear. Our, our understanding of each other's, um, boundaries or whatever. Once I became an adult, it was, you know, very simple. And if it didn't work out, like if she pushed a boundary, then I would cut off contact. Like, but I was always like intuitively, I was attached to her my, my whole life. Like, I mean, there, there's no doubt about it. Like she, um, you know, her bad, her bad habits, her bad, um, behaviors or whatever that were, whether they're drug, um, addiction, um, the foundation of them were, you know, because of her addiction or because she had some, you know, uh, like immature emotional patterns herself from being on drugs for so long or whatever. It doesn't matter. Like I always felt extremely connected to her. I felt like, I just, I can't put into words what attachment feels like. And I ask people to explain to me what loving a biological child feels like. And most people don't really have a good way of explaining it. They just, they, they, they can't really, they try, they start out with an effort, but they can't really exactly put those feelings into words. And I can't exactly put the connection that I had to my mom into words. I can just tell you that like, I knew before I, before verbal confirmation, uh, like I would know exactly what was going on with her. I could tell what kind of drug she was on, um, or about to be on before she even took it. Like my mom's biggest, um, drug addictions or whatever, uh, they, her substance abuse lived mostly in the, the pill world. So like I could tell if she had a purse full of Xanax or if it was pain pills or whatever. And I could, I could pretty much on the dot guess how long it would be before things got really ugly or before like things were going to spiral to the next level or whatever. Um, I could hear it in her voice when she was still sober, but had already like gotten her prescription filled at the pharmacy. I just knew exactly what was going on with her and vice versa. Like when my family would be like really upset with me, say for making a choice that seemed like it was going to lead me to the land of no return, um, dropping out of high school or, you know, a situation with like, um, my goddaughter, whatever. My mom would just say like, you know, she would just go with it. And later in life, she said, I just knew, like, I knew you were the kind of person that was way too curious. You had a thirst for knowledge. I knew you were going to get your education just in your own time and your on your own terms. I knew that you would graduate with a degree. I knew that you would not get stuck in the the stereotypical situation that everyone expected me to get stuck in. Like, I lived in this really, really bad area in a trailer park and, like, you know, just was making choices that seemed very negative for myself and my future, but it was just a stepping stone. And she said to me, like I said, later in life, she said, um, I knew that it was just a, 
it was just a very short season and that you needed that. And I never felt like that would be your, that would be your future. I just felt like that's where you were stopping along the way. Um, you know, we had like very deep, um, conversations about what her intuition as a parent was, what my intuition as her child was like, um, and how and why those things always felt like truth. And that those things were always correct. Like they always came out in the wash as being fact. And, um, you know, for me, I think that, um, I needed that experience so badly. Like the experience that I had with my mom of being able to talk about things that understanding each other's in, intuition about our relationship as parent and child. I think I needed that so badly because, you know, in the future, my mom would pass away unexpectedly before I even turned 30 and I would be literally devastated by the grief. It would change my life in many ways. It would change who I was as a person and I wouldn't even have a sense of what to do with myself. Through that experience though, I have really looked at attachment on a deep level. Okay. I've looked at attachment and I've looked at my relationship with this child that I raised myself. And that story goes very deep. Like the bonds of that scenario and the reason that that scenario even came to pass, like why I was in a position and, and ultimately decided to step up and how I did that. Like all of these things that I'm not, I don't really feel like it's relevant to get into, but all of these things that would shock a lot of people, um, I would really start to understand them from a different perspective. My mom has said things to me over the years, um, that didn't really resonate with me at the time, but they would start to resonate with me as I'm grieving her after we moved back home from, you know, across the country. And after we decided to have my goddaughter move back in with us and like, you know, we're trying to move through some really difficult years in her life. And her dad is in the depths of his addiction for part of that. So he's like homeless on heroin, like, you know, shooting up heroin without anywhere to go. He's literally like stealing for stealing from everybody, anybody. He's MIA. She's a whole wreck trying to figure out like where he is half the time. And, um, and then him getting sober during this and finding God. And like, it was just a whole journey that I had to experience a lot of these things, her biological mom, even changing her life around, which was the most shocking. Um, and even though they don't have a relationship, me having to come to terms with that and talking to my God, like literally like understanding these genetic biological pulls that are these, these magnets, like this magnetic force that even if it's not something my kid was dealing with right then she would deal with it. And I mean, we would go through these scenarios like with her dad, for example, I mean, I had to really defend his truth, even though I was upset with him, even though her truth is, had to be protected as well. But I had to like constantly like fight his battles for him, even though he didn't know I was fighting them. He didn't know that I was trying to get her to a rational place and understanding the truth of like uh, his addiction and their lack of a bond, their lack of attachment. Like, yes, they have this thing from, you know, 
the early years, but like he doesn't know you and you don't really know him and he's not this ideal father that you have made up in your mind. Like that person isn't real. Just like you don't want to be this ideal version of yourself that like we expect of you. Like you don't think it's fair that I expect you to make straight A's and that you have extracurricular activities and that you're, you know, doing your chores without being asked. And like you think that all of these things are like this perfect version of yourself that I should never expect all of these things from one person but yet you do the same thing from your biological father like you expect him to be someone and to behave in ways that are just unrealistic and then you let yourself get disappointed and you get your feelings hurt over something that was never ever going to happen because you want something that is not something that person is even capable of giving you and so why are we not looking at the reality of our life why are we not looking at the reality of our situation and our dad and like being fair with ourselves and with our parents. Did we deserve to have better than this? We all deserve to have better than this. You know, we all deserved better. I deserved a better chance at my own youth. Sans all of this, right? Like just being um, a godparent, quote unquote, in the sense of like my friend's have a kid and I love that kid and that kid grows up in a normal-ish environment and I get to be like an aunt-ish kind of person, you know? Like I deserved that. I was 16 when when this all happened. Like I had no say in you being conceived or born or abandoned or any of that, right? Like she definitely had no say in in being here and having this life. Like she didn't ask for this. Hey guys, I know this podcast seemed to have just um, ended abruptly, but that's because I did cut it in half to make it into two smaller episodes since, you know, I can't stop myself from rambling for an hour. So you can go ahead and go to episode number 12, I think, part two of my story. Enjoy.